my periods were so excessive that I remained anemic for 30 plus years. It was very, very traumatic for me. And I didn't even think about hot flashes because I thought I was too young. And my hot flashes just got progressively worse. I mean, it was a very miserable experience for me. Until I studied culinary medicine, I didn't understand the link between what I was eating and how I was making my hot flashes worse. worse. And so seven years ago, you know, flashback, I'm about 50 and I changed my diet literally overnight. Welcome to Office Visits with Dr. V, your personal guide to wellness. Here's your host, the expert in all things menopause, periods, and pre-pregnancy health, Dr. V. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Office Visits with Dr. V. I am thrilled that you're here today because we've got a truly enlightening episode lined up for you. I'm joined by the incredible Lori Powers, a renowned expert in a field that's close to many of our hearts and our health. We're about to unravel some little known yet vital connections between your diet and menopause symptoms. Ever wondered why certain foods seem to trigger those hot flashes or how your sleep patterns can play a role in your menopause experience? Well, we're diving into all of that and more. This episode is packed with insights and practical tips that could be game changers for your wellness journey. So y'all get ready to be empowered with knowledge that's not just enlightening, but also immensely practical. Let's get started. Lori, welcome to Office Visits with Dr. V. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, man. I'm excited to first, Lori, please tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and and why we should be listening to you about this stuff. Okay. So my name is Lori Powers. I've been a medical provider for 33 years. I went to University of Florida and studied speech and audiology, and I wound up going to PA school at Duke University um, 33, about 35 years ago. So that's kind of how I started. I was that nerdy science kid when I grew up and I used to do science experiments in my closet and I just knew that I wanted to do something <laughs> medical, but I didn't necessarily want to go the MD route because I wanted to have a really flexible schedule so I could have mm-hmm. kids. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I did. And I actually have two kids and now two grandchildren. So that's who I am and where I come from. And about ooh, uh, seven years ago, I was at a conference. We went to an annual conference at the place that I was employed at in psychiatry um, for something called Psych Congress, where we talked about all the newest things in psychiatry. And I guess I need to back up. So I'm a primary care PA. I actually practiced primary care for about 10 years. And then I did psychiatry for more than 20. And so during my psychiatric years, I would go to this conference every year. Awesome conference. Highly recommend it. So one year they were talking about using food to treat psychiatric illnesses, and they were requesting that psychiatric providers go back to school for two years at Tulane University and get certified for certified culinary medical specialists. And I was like, huh, using food instead of medication? And they were like, absolutely. And I was like, oh, that is so about me. So I decided to go back. Luckily, this was before COVID because I had to fly back and forth to New Orleans, which is where Tulane is. They have a huge cooking kitchen, which is the most fabulous part of the training. 
And it's all doctors, PAs, nurse practitioners, anybody with a medical license could get certified right. in culinary medicine. Right. And you're being taught by different types of physicians that are also culinary medical specialists. Mm -hmm. And they put you in little tiny groups and you're in this huge cooking kitchen and your group might be creating a meal for somebody with diabetes and someone else is creating a meal for hypertension and someone else is creating a meal for cancer. Love and then you get together. Is. And, and, and kind of talk about your mock patient and you get to eat all the food and learn. They even have a garden, like where we picked like our fresh vegetables and herbs. And oh my gosh. it was life-changing. Oh so what Tulane is doing is they're trying to encourage every medical school in the United States to have this program. And yeah. at the last count, I think they had 30 medical schools that were incorporating this into their medical training, which I think is brilliant because doctors get very little, if any, nutritional training. Okay, let me just jump in here real quick. Yeah. I graduated in 2002 from medical school mm -hmm. and nutrition was an elective and mm -hmm. it was a very popular elective because it was a cushy elective. Right, right, um, right. And so only like one or two people could get it per, um, oh per quarter. God. So it was like, you are not, you, we didn't get it. We yeah. didn't get it. Um, yeah. So, so you're, you're learning about nutrition. Tell us how you kind of made the leap from nutrition psychiatry, I'm going to start my practice to help people with their lifestyles to treat disease. Right. Well, of course, COVID is going to come into the story, right? <laughs> so, so this was seven years ago before COVID. It took like two and a half years by the time I got certified and I was already practicing it. I, mean, I was already using it, even though I couldn't really mm -hmm. bill for it. Obviously I was in psychiatry, but I was already mm -hmm. using it. And my kids and my young adults were getting better. I was able to wean them off antidepressants, antipsychotics, wow. all different types of ADHD medicines, medicines wow. for sleep. And it was what I was always trying to do prior. Like I was never a big pharma person, but I didn't have all the tools to do it. So I wasn't always successful. So all of a sudden I was able to do that. And not only was I able to get them off their medicines, but they were losing weight. Their other chronic medical conditions were getting better. Their They're mood better, was better. Yeah. Their focus, their grades, everything was getting better. So you said I was applying it. Is this just the nutrition piece at this point? At that or were point. you also applying sleep? So it was just, just nutrition, just, just nutrition. by helping them yeah. eat better. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't have the okay. sleep. I didn't have the sleep training yet. So I hadn't, okay. I hadn't gotten okay. to that part. So I'm talking about, you know, like seven, six, five, four years ago, something like that. And so when I saw how well people were doing physically and mentally, I was so excited, but I was still having to prescribe medication for sleep. Um, no matter what food I did, you know, you hear about turkey at Thanksgiving and there are some foods that, you know, milk, whatever, yeah. there's some, some foods that may have some sedative properties. They, it's not enough, you know, <laughs> there's really no magic food for sleep. I don't care what anyone says. I've tried it all. So um, <laughs> then COVID hit and I had a few job transitions over COVID. That's a different story. But I wound up in a sleep medicine clinic and the sleep medicine clinic was super excited about my culinary medical skills because most patients with sleep apnea are obese. So they wanted someone to work with their patients to get them off their CPAP machines or, you know, just to prevent sleep apnea in the first place. Right. But they wanted me to get certified in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which I was able to do because I was already certified in psychiatry. So you have to be a psychologist or have a certification in psychiatry to get that um, education. So they wanted me to go back and do that. So luckily this was over COVID. So I was able to do that online and I got that certification and I started marrying the two together, my culinary medicine with the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Mm. And it was 
magical, especially when mm. I had motivated patients. Patients were dropping weight without even trying. They were sleeping better. I mean, it, it, it was so magical. And so I decided, wow, this is what I want to do. And I want to do it for myself and make my own hours and spend more time with my patients than what I was allotted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of doctor's offices only give you X amount of minutes. And so I last a year ago, June, I decided to open my own practice. So that's kind of where that came from. So th- this podcast will be available for eternity. So that was June of 2022. June of 2022. Yeah. Amazing. So, okay. So I I know this works, um, but let's talk about some issues that you have addressed with this marrying of sleep and diet and, you know, menopause, perimenopause. So I'm, I'm late forties. So my peers are asking me about this menopause thing. Um, And that was the story that you were getting ready to get into, like how you transitioned through menopause. Right, um, and right. then let us know like what you do for your patients potentially to help them with this transition. So I come from the a family history of women that have horrible menstrual cycles, horrible periods, and horrible, horrible menopause. <laughs> so I was terrified of menopause. My mom went through menopause while she had breast cancer. So she was 40 when she had breast cancer and was already naturally going through menopause. So it wasn't created by her treatment. And it was terrifying to me because she lost her hair and we lived in Florida and she would pull her wig off everywhere we went because when she had a hot flash, she had to, or she would pass out, you know? And I was a teenager and I was like, whoa, mom's got her wig off again. I remember once at Disney World where she literally swooned and my dad had to catch her, you know, with no wig on. So menopause to me was kind of a terrifying thought. And I was that kid who missed a day or two of school almost every month because my periods were so bad. And sadly, I had a daughter that followed right behind me. Um, She's now 25. She did the same thing. My mom had done the same thing. And this sounds maybe too personal, but literally every single work chair I ever had was stained from blood. Like it was my periods were so excessive that I remained anemic for 30 plus years. Oh my Um, God. Yeah. It was very, it was very, very traumatic for me. So my hot flashes started one night. We were on vacation at the beach at Myrtle beach (laughs) and we were in kind of a timeshare type of situation and there were no ceiling fans. And I was used to sleeping with a ceiling fan and there was no other type of fan there. And I woke up drenched in sweat and I'm like, Oh, it's gotta be 85 degrees in here. And my husband's like, it's freezing in here. I don't know what you're talking about. And I didn't even think about hot flashes because I thought I was too young. Yeah, right? you were young. Yeah. Even though my mom had gone through it, I just wasn't thinking about that. I was like, oh yeah, 41, 40, this, this can't be happening. And my hot flashes just got progressively worse. I mean, it was a very miserable experience for me. You know, the good news was my period started to get scantier. I and was going to say that way. helped. <laughs> yeah. And that was good, but the hot flashes were, were horrible. And so until I studied culinary medicine, I didn't understand the link between what I was eating and how I was making my hot flashes worse Worse. instead of better. Yes, yes, yes. And so seven years ago, you know, flashback, I'm about 50 and I was still having the horrible hot flashes and still having all the, you know, the symptoms. And I changed my diet literally overnight. Now, I don't recommend that Mm. for most people. Um, I don't think most people probably even should change their diet overnight because my fiber content went up 
by times four probably. And for some people that would cause a lot of GI issues, but, but I'm the kind of person where I went home from my very first one week cooking lesson and came home and threw all the food away. And my husband was like, what's going on? This is really weird. Why are you doing this? And I said, listen, (laughs) I said, I have grocery shopped and cooked for 25 years for us, for the family. I was empty nesting that year. I said, it's time for me to take care of me. Now, if you want to add to what I'm cooking, you're welcome to do it, but this is what I'm cooking. And if you like it, you know, I'm going to be super happy. I'm going to make it tasty. I'll take cooking classes. I'll do all the things to bring flavors, whatever you want to do. I said, but this is something that I have to do for me. So and you, so you, you took him hostage. Okay, I did. Got it. I did. <laughs> I took him hostage, and to this day, he's my biggest cheerleader. Like he's yeah. the first person. So it was really hard for him at first. For me, it was easy because once I read the studies, like I'm just a black and white person. I was like, yeah, you know. But for him, he was like, mm. but then we got his blood back, and I was able to get him off his statin, and his liver was inflamed on his statin, and I dropped his total cholesterol and his LDL both by eighty points each. Y'all, when, she's just talking about food. Right. She's and he wasn't about overweight. food. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't overweight. He's a triathlon. Yeah. So he yeah. was a tall, skinny guy, right? Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't that he was obese causing the hyperlipidemia, but it was what he was eating. It's what he was eating. Yeah. yeah. So when I changed it and he saw that. So now, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. I still do most of the grocery shopping and the cooking. But when we eat out, I just keep my mouth zipped and he eats what he wants, but we don't eat out maybe once or twice a week. So I just keep it, I keep it low key and I watch the heart attack on a plate meal. And I I know that everything else he's eating is good. (laughs) So his cholesterol's creeped up a little bit, but it's still not high enough to be on medication. I mean, he's doing fabulously. So yay, this is what we need to hear. So you changed what you were eating. So for menopause, because you know, menopause, heavy, painful periods, Mm -hmm. mood issues issues, all of these things can be managed uh, with diet and sleep. So what are maybe just three things that you changed that helped you with menopause? It's interesting because for the heavy periods and the breast tenderness and the hot flashes, it's really the same diet. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing. The only thing that's different is there's a few foods that I add, believe it or not, during menopause that can be quite magical. Okay, so the diet is basically lowering saturated fat, especially. So saturated fat is anything that comes from an animal or other foods like um, coconut is high in saturated fat and palm oil is high in saturated fat. And unfortunately, palm oil is everywhere because that's what they use in most processed foods. It's all in there. And I'll just add simply to kind of simplify that as well, that saturated fats are the ones that are solid at room temperature. So coconut oil is really kind of getting it shine on, but it it definitely is a saturated fat because at room temperature, it's solid. All plant-based oils have a mixture of good and bad fat in them. Okay. So there's going to be some good fats in coconut oil, but sadly for coconut oil, it has a lot more bad fat than it does have good fat. So it's just something that I recommend that people consume on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, and for some people that are having severe hot flashes, I even go more extreme with the low fat. I even get into some of the things if they're not responding 
that are what we would consider good fats. So the olive oils, the olives, the nuts, the nut butters, you know, those right. really limit them. And a lot of times if, if they're, if they're struggling and they can't get a control of their hot flashes, that helps as well. But most of the time it's a saturated fat. Most of the time it's the animal products, especially because they're filled with hormones and the biggest animal product that I, that I, um, say that again, hold on, say that again, say that again. Yes. Mostly it's the animal products because what, Lori? They're filled with hormones, especially dairy. And the people of color even more so have problems with dairy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. the problem is if you think about it and you'd have to understand how they make dairy, but dairy comes from a pregnant cow and they impregnate that cow every single year so that she'll maintain her milk. Okay. And so the estrogen levels in that milk are sky high because they're meant for a 1000 pound heifer. They're not meant for a human. So we are the only mammal that drinks the milk of another mammal. We're the only one. Come on. If you guys have been listening to Dr. V, I have said that over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. That's that's, it violates natural uh, laws. Right, right. And what I tell my patients is, would you drink cat milk? Would you drink elephant milk? If your dog was nursing puppies, would you drink that? I mean, think about it. It seems so right, 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 right. Why does it seem okay that we drink cow's milk? It's just cultural. And it's it's been marketed to be good for us. Mm -hmm. So it is cultural. And oh my goodness, this is where you get your calcium to have strong bones and teeth. So I could go into that for an hour. I was going to say, yeah, like let's not not even go there. So another time we'll talk about that because I want to talk about that another day. Because that makes me crazy. Oh, Lord. So <clears throat> saturated fats is something that you get rid of. And especially we're hitting on the dairy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's something else that you um, add or eliminate to help with that? So the second thing, so we take the fat down. Okay. And 97% of Americans are getting too much protein. So people usually worry when I take the saturated fat down, since you're saying take milk and animal products down, I'm going to be protein deficient. That is a lie. So that is a lie from Big Pharma and the animal industry because Big Pharma now owns most of our protein beverages and things like that. Okay. So that's not a that's not true. In fact, as a doctor, how many people have you seen that you ever thought had a low protein level from their blood work or right? Okay. So now, I, to, um, as an OBGYN, that's not something that I would check. But absolutely, you're right. That is not Mm -hmm. a deficiency that we run into. Absolutely, I agree. Well, I spent a year in hematology, oncology, and then I spent 23 years in psychiatry with a lot of eating disorders, even anorexia. Mm -hmm. The only Mm -hmm. people, and and I did blood work on everybody, okay? And I checked their protein levels in their blood and all the things. The only people I ever saw that had a protein problem were cachectic from chemotherapy or cancer, or were extremely anorexic to the point where they probably needed to be admitted. Hold on, Lori. When we say medical words, I like to kind of, you said cachectic, which is like, one like of my extremely underweight, <laughs> right? Yes. Kind of wasted or yes, wasting. Yes. Yeah. Holocaust oh. victim like, yeah, you know, yeah, those, yeah. those people clearly are protein deficient. 
um, either because they're anorexic or because they're very, very sick, right? right? But the vast majority of us get too much protein, even vegans get too much protein, okay? So the protein myth is a lie. So when I decrease people's saturated fat, I have to tell them, don't listen to, you know, all the commercials, don't listen to YouTube and social media where they tell you, you need to have more protein. That's just simply not true. And I'm actually having a conversation on social media right now with a psychiatrist who insists it's true. And I'm like, show me a study, just one study. Show me one patient that you have a lab that shows this. And he can't because it's just not true. <laughs> so I'm like, I can show you a hundred studies. So show me one. So uh, that's another area because, you know, as we get older, we lose muscle mass. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's where we're hearing, you know, get protein, get protein, right. but I don't want to go down there. So we said saturated fats. It's okay. If we're not worrying about the, the protein. protein part. Right. Right. Okay. And then when I take that away, what do I increase? Okay. So we, those are a lot of calories, right? In mm-hmm. fact, fat has nine calories per gram and carbs only have four. So you're taking away a ton of calories. So all of a sudden you get to eat a ton more food. Okay. And what more food am I recommending? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans. So these are, these are really awesome foods to increase. And then when you do that, what are you increasing? Fiber. Fiber Fiber. is what we're deficient in. Just like 97% of Americans get too much protein, 97% of Americans get insufficient fiber. And that's why, because they're pushing the protein so hard, which makes us eat so much fat that we're not getting the fiber. And then they're trying to scare us away from carbs. I have so many women that come in that are eating zero whole grains. And I always say, are you scared of carbs? Like after I take their diet history, they're like, oh yeah, I'm scared of carbs. 50% of every meal should be whole grains and good carbs. So one of my, um, I, I have some principles that I just kind of say, this is just the way it is. Your body can heal itself, right? Your body can function if you give it what it needs. And right. so we we do need, ladies and gentlemen, we do need carbohydrates. We absolutely do. Now, do you need them from, you know, from the Doritos bag? No. Maybe not, right? But no, absolutely grains, not. That's yeah. the palm oil. Absolutely <laughs> not. And the and the right. food colorings and the flavorings yes. and the artificial everything, yes. preservatives. Yes. So the whole grains. So what I'm talking about is the old fashioned oatmeal. It might take five minutes to cook, or if you get mm-hmm. steel cut, it make twenty five minutes to cook. We can yep. make a pot. It'll last all week. I'm talking about brown rice. I'm talking about wild rice. Even popcorn depend on depending on how you. Um, prepare it. So not the microwaved popcorn that's covered with artificial colors, flavorings, and plastic from the inside lining of the bag. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's really a problem. So the whole grains and people will say no bread. I say, no, I will. I like sprouted grain bread. So Ezekiel bread is my favorite bread. It's all sprouted grains. It's not made from the processed flours. So there's a ton of choices for whole grains. There's, there are also whole grains that like millet and, you know, other grains that Americans don't eat a lot of. um, I know barley, barley, yep. Quinoa. Yep. Yep. I just, There, there's a lot that we don't know about mm-hmm. food. Um, right. And I will tell you, it's getting better. Um, I went plant-based 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember trying to look for some of these things like black rice. Oh my gosh, right. it was hard to find. Right. Quinoa, you know, you have to go to special stores, but now it's in every grocery store. So right. um, it's getting better. Um, and if you continue to hang out with me 
Lori, you'll learn more about, you know, what you can eat and what you can substitute, what you can add um, to help you feel better. Uh, so we're getting whole grains, we're reducing saturated fats and dairy. What about sugar? Because that's the, yeah. uh, I mean, for menopause, yeah. um, heavy periods, all of those things. Yeah. What, yeah. what are your, what's your take on sugar? Processed foods in general, and sugar is a processed food. Okay, mm -hmm. so processed foods in general are extremely inflammatory. And the inflammation could be heart, brain, you know, it's, it's, it's just absolutely something that is unnecessary. I don't even consider it really a food. So you want to keep your sugar as low as possible. And some people will say, well, what about honey? Well, what about maple syrup? Well, what about, you know, all these other sorts of sugars? Sugar is sugar. Okay, so there are some benefits to honey, honestly, um, but you'd have to eat so much honey to get the benefit. Right, to get and it. now you've had too much sugar. Same thing with maple right. syrup. So right. if I'm going to use a sweetener, it is going to be a less processed sugar like honey and things right. like that. For me, right. not honey, but maple syrup. But in general, um, you want to keep your sugar low. Definitely. And when we say process, so most of us are, are eating refined sugar where mm -hmm. they made the sugar, they've kind of concentrated it, if you will, to a very, very super potent sweetener. Right. Um, but when we say natural sweeteners, okay, you could pull out a honeycomb and get mm -hmm. some honey. Mm -hmm. You could tap a tree and get maple syrup. syrup. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of the other things that are really just not found in nature and are really processed yes, um, are bleached. still, yeah. yeah, and bleached and they put all these things that they're still, they're still processed. So right. definitely keeping your sugar low. Um, okay. That, that's all good things. All good things. Yes. If you uh -huh. eat foods without labels, the way God made the food, you don't have to worry about it. Like people always want me to teach them to read a label and I can teach you to read a label, but I try not to eat foods that have labels. An example would be, you know, real oatmeal with real blueberries and real bananas. There's no label involved in that. Some cinnamon <laughs> thinking like that. When you start thinking that way, then then you're getting the less processed food. If if right. man had to touch it and do a bunch of things to it, and there's a lot of ingredients and you don't know what they are, and sometimes I don't know what they are, we shouldn't be eating we it. We shouldn't eat it's it. Not it should not go food. in your body. It yeah. should not. Because your body's like, I don't know what this is. I, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't designed to process this. Yeah. So thank you for stopping and saying that. Those are whole foods. They, mm -hmm. they look like they came you eat them in the same form that they came out of the ground or how right. they were grown. Right. And you, that's, I love saying that eat foods without labels. Now, maybe you got a little sticker from the produce, like the barcode, but mm -hmm. that's the only that's label about it. That's that should about be it. on it. Um, yeah. And, and listen, I know y'all, and I'm looking straight in the camera. I know y'all are like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's fine and good but you have to grocery side. I know. And it takes time. I want you to have the knowledge and the behavior change are things that we can help you with. Um, definitely. Like she said, nobody does this, you know, most people don't do this overnight, but this is what's best. And we have to get in our mindset that this is the standard, because if we want to feel better, this is the standard. So okay. and when you eat this way, when you really focus on fiber and you get your fat down, I tell my patients the preferred amount of saturated fat is zero. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't going to get there. 
okay? But if they can get to one, no more than two servings of saturated fat a day, there is frequently dramatic improvement. Wow. Okay? wow. And then eating as many fruits and vegetables as you want. Okay, so as wow. long as you're not fried or covered in cheese and butter, you can have more about all of that. And so you're never hungry. And the weight, and most of my patients are very sick and older, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, cancer. Right. They're also obese. Their weight falls off and they can't believe it. They're like, oh my gosh, like I, I've been dieting my whole life and I've been stuck with this 50, 100 pounds. Yes. Weight. Every time yes. they come in and I don't even make yes. them weigh. I don't believe in scales. I don't believe in counting calories, but they're, they're, their clothes are falling off. Like it is, it is so gratifying. And then, and then one other thing, I actually have a hot dog in my office. It's 15 years old. I bought it at a, a very well-known hot dog establishment here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I have a friend who has a full on happy meal, like the fries, cheeseburger, the whole thing that's 25 years old. I mean, this hot dog, I have their seat on the lid. Okay. This hot dog literally sat in my garage on a plate all summer. Even the bugs didn't touch it. Okay. Look at the bread. I mean, you can tell like there's no mold, nothing happened to it. Um, and then I put it in my attic for years. Cause I kind of forgot about it. We moved and when I, and so in what 200 degree heat, probably in the summer, you know, I mean, and it's still hands down. That is the best example of what a processed food. Is. Yeah. I, that's a processed food. And I have tons of ways to teach Whoa. people how to make their produce last longer. I, I can wow. teach people how to choose ripe versus not ripe, which fri fruit will ripen on the counter, which won't, how to rotate your refrigerator, how to clean yes, them like using yes, vinegar, yes, kills yes. the fungus on berries. They last so much longer, oh you know, how God. to store things like cilantro. Like there's so many things you can do. I almost never have food waste. I mean, I, wow. I have to look in my refrigerator every day and I rotate things. And sometimes if I don't have time, I'll freeze it. I'm like, I don't have time to cook you broccoli, but you're going to be just as, just as healthy frozen because- it's, it's unprocessed. So I cut it up, throw it in the freezer. It's so much cheaper to eat this way, you guys. <laughs> so much cheaper. I can't Love even it. tell you how much money I save every month. I know. I know. Meat is expensive. It's And meat, cheese, milk, all the processed yeah. foods, that is where you're spending your money. If you stay on the outside of the grocery store where things aren't processed, and especially if you buy what's in season, what's on sale, Oh my, like anything, anytime, like the berries are on sale, I stock my freezer. Anytime the broccoli's on sale, I buy extra and freeze some. I mean, just, if you think like that and think about rice and beans and how cheap they are, even the better rices are way cheaper than all the processed foods. So th this is why we need, we need more practitioners and health coaches and people that can guide us in these areas, because there's so much information that we just don't know. Right. Um, and so I encourage you guys, you know, to reach out to Lori or, you know, anybody in your area, because, you know, even if you're taking notes on this from this episode, you really need to know how to apply it. And like she said, if you go buy up the whole store with produce, it might go to waste. So when you talk about weight loss, I just want to put this little nugget in there um, with Wagovi and Ozempic. And they're talking about, you know, feeling full, which the medical term is um, satiety. And it's messing with your hormones, the ghrelin and the leptin, yep. you know, these whole food plant-based diets naturally affect those hormones. So you don't, I mean, I know someone who's spending a hundred dollars a week for one injection. Oh, I know people that are spending more than that. <laughs> a hunt, oh, I've had look, patients I, I let her know she's got a yep. discount. <laughs> yes. Yes. It can be $700 yeah. a month for those. Right. Right. Discount. 
seven dollars seven hundred dollars as yeah. opposed to what your produce bill would be at the grocery store that's way more than i spend on groceries a month for my husband and i i want our our episode to be complete because look i promised the people sleep and diet so tell us about sleep um how how that helped because sleep is a huge thing in menopause for mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, also with menstrual issues and, you know, brain fog and anxiety, tell us what you know about sleep and how you can help us with some of these conditions by adjusting that. Okay. So the most important thing that I'm going to say about sleep is probably not what you expect. The most important thing is you have to make sure you don't have sleep apnea guys. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the doctors, no offense, Dr. V, the doctors aren't screening for sleep apnea. They don't know much about sleep apnea. That's not mm. in their wheelhouse. It's not at the top of their list. They have a million things to talk to you about, and that's not usually in the list. Okay. Here's the scariest part and what really shook me the last three years since I've been doing sleep medicine. Almost every single person <laughs> that I test for sleep apnea is positive. I mean, wow. it blows my mind. Wow. So there's a screening tool that we use in sleep medicine. It's called the STOP BANG. So it's an acronym. So each letter stands for a symptom. And if insurance companies, obviously, they kind of rule us. They rule the world, right? I was getting That's That was my next question, but go yep. ahead. <laughs> yep. So they like to see the STOP BANG. And most of them won't pay for sleep apnea tests unless you have three out of eight points. Okay. So, okay. but most patients do. So here's what stop bang stands for. So the S is for snoring and mm. it has to be moderately loud, which means anybody can hear it in the room that you're sleeping. Okay. So that's, the, that's the big one. The T is for tired. So low energy. Okay. Or sleepiness. Okay. Meaning you can't keep your eyes open. So, but that also could be narcolepsy and there's a separate screening for that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then O is what we call observed apneas. Apneas are pausing and breathing when you sleep. And that is the hallmark of sleep apnea, but not everybody sees that because either they don't have a partner or their partner's asleep. So they don't see it. Right. But some people do. Okay. Then there's P for high blood pressure. If you have high blood pressure um, and you have two of these other risk factors, you need to be screened for sleep apnea. So listen up because mm -hmm. the majority of Americans at certain ages have high blood pressure high anymore. Blood pressure. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So B is BMI. So if you're obese, you're, you're, especially if you're what we call class two obese, so that's a higher BMI, but any type of overweight can increase your risk. Okay. So you have to pay attention to that. A is age. So 50 and up. Okay. Which probably a lot of your, your patients are 50 and up, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. N is neck size. So most people don't know their neck size. So if you take a tape measure as if you're going to button a button right here, not any tighter than that, just like you're going to button a button. Okay. Um, for a woman, it's 16. So 16 and higher for men, it's 17. And so most, I live in Fayetteville. So most people I see a lot of them are military. They know that measurement, <laughs> but, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but other people don't always know. So just get a tape measure, pretend like you're buttoning a shirt. And if you're 16 or higher, that is a risk factor. And then G is for gender, which is more common in males, but I see a ton of women that have sleep apnea. Wow. Okay. So you can see wow. how that can add up. So if you're over yeah. 50, you know, and you have high blood pressure, you only need one other symptom and you need a sleep test. And I was going to say, if you're over 50 and you're a man, right. Yes. <laughs> like, just one other, other if you have moderate snoring. Okay. Wow. No, yeah. Consistently wow. moderate snoring. So it doesn't take much. And mm. I'm going to be honest. I've been ordering sleep tests for three years. 
when I order them and I, and I screen them, there's some other questions I ask too. You know, there's a, there's a whole right, right. Those are the primary. I haven't had one come back negative yet. So mm-hmm. that's how common it is when, wow. you, when you do the stopping and you get those. So, well, so that's the most important thing because so many people have it. And if you have untreated sleep apnea, it increases your risk of heart enlargement or even sudden death. So you have to take it seriously. It means that your brain and your vital organs lose oxygen all night long. Wow. So these people, I mean, usually, yeah, you do hear about the person who snores. So I'm so glad that you went through the whole kind of symptom list because, you know, we're thinking, you know, I know I used to think, oh, it's, it's overweight people, but you can have skinny people. Oh no, I have skinny people. For sure. Absolutely. Because there are other reasons. So it could be genetic. Like, like you just have laxity here, even though you're not very heavy or big, it could be your tonsils and adenoids, especially for younger people or nasal septal deformity or polyps in the nose. There's so many things like it's not just obesity, but obesity is a huge risk factor. So, okay. Y'all, I know you all probably have um, potentially health insurance. And like she said, these things have to have to get paid for. They have to meet certain criteria. So if you have three out of the eight, that is something that you can discuss with your provider. Right. Um, I I don't know that this is a common screening test. Uh, and again, I'm kind of pseudo kind of primary care as an OBGYN, um, but I don't hear of this as a routine screening. So um so, all right. So people who have undiagnosed sleep apnea, they're probably having issues with insomnia or they're feeling tired throughout the day. Um, what are some other things as far as after we say, okay, you've got sleep apnea potentially, um, mm-hmm. what are other things or other aspects of sleep um, that we need to be aware of? Okay. And I'm going to pause on the sleep apnea thought, just because you have sleep apnea doesn't mean you can't also have insomnia and vice versa. And Mm -hmm. so insomnia is a separate diagnosis with a separate treatment plan. Okay. But if you feel like you're not getting good quality sleep or you feel unrested, you feel tired, you have these risk factors, get tested. But even if you get treated for sleep apnea, you could still have insomnia if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So I'm kind of making that. that distinction. So the first thing I do is I screen them for sleep apnea. The second thing I do is I screen them for anything medical that could be going on that may be unrelated. So the things that I usually screen for, I have a sleep panel. I also have a nutrition panel and they, they do merge in some places, but they're, they're, you know, depending on the patient, um, I check their thyroid. So the TSH and things like that, and make sure that all that is normal. I check their vitamin D. I don't know if you've talked about vitamin yes, D. Yes, I could yes, talk yes. about vitamin D. Yes, love long. vitamin D. Oh my gosh. Almost every single patient I test is deficient in vitamin D. Okay. So I test vitamin D. I don't just check iron and CBC, but I check the ferritin, the stored iron. Do you do that with yes, your gut? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, absolutely. Because heavy periods. you huge. Yep. Right? It needs to be 80 for best mm-hmm. sleep. I don't know if you mm-hmm. knew that. 80. I use I use 50, above 50, but 80, okay. Let's for go. For best sleep, 80. <laughs> for vitamin D, 60. Yeah. And that's not what most primary cares are doing. So when you push it up, sometimes it's miraculous, the better sleep they get. And then I also check B12. So most people think of B12 as just a vegan problem, but it's not because your absorption of B12 decreases the older you get. So if you're over 50, you probably need your B12 checked. If you're vegan, obviously everybody needs to be on B12 if they're vegan. Right, right. And then magnesium, which if you're eating a 
plant-based diet or you're eating your fruits and veggies, and you shouldn't be low in magnesium, but most Americans aren't eating it that way. So magnesium is another thing that can cause problems with sleep. So I check all these things. I tweak these things with diet, with supplements, whatever I have to do there. And then I do cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia for my adults. For kids, the little kids, you can't do cognitive behavioral. It's more behavioral therapy for kids. Okay. So cognitive okay. behavioral therapy is usually four sessions. It's 80% effective in four appointments, which I think is dramatic. Think wow. about, yeah, think about your medications, how long it might take to adjust a medication and then eventually become tolerant to it and they don't work anymore. Then you have to try something else and they have side effects and all that. Wow. The beauty of CBTI is it only takes four appointments for most people and it gets better with time because it's like practicing something. It gets better mm. and better mm. and better. And so that's why I think most therapists don't get trained in CBTI. BTI because they lose their patients quickly. You see what I'm saying? So I am the only one in Fayetteville that does it. Um, and if you're a therapist, right? If you're a therapist, who wants to lose their patients in four appointments? Wow. You know, I usually keep wow. them because I keep them for nutrition for some oh, period wow. of time, you know, but I don't keep even those forever. Once they've got it, they've got it. And I might check them, you know, once or twice a year after that and make sure they're staying with it. But yeah. Yeah. That that, that kind of sounds like why we don't have a cure for cancer because, <laughs> but yeah. anyway. Yeah, big pharma. Uh, wow. Nothing. We yeah. not going to have, yeah. Yeah, you can't, um, you can't monetize a cure. Like once you get rid of it. <laughs> right, right. The money dries up. Okay. So I, I just, there's a lot that I don't know. And a lot that you just, about. yeah, that you just shared with us. I mean, that is, that's crazy. Yeah. Sleep apnea, cognitive behavioral therapy, checking other medical. Oh, that was the question I had. Because mm -hmm. we want these things to be practical, right? So people can take it to their doctors. I know that insurance does not pay for screening for vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I will usually use the code fatigue. Yes. Uh, Malaise, fatigue. Yep. Yeah. That's the one that I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you have to know how to code it. Yes. You I have usually have 15 diagnoses on my lab slips. They usually lab, you know, because I do, I spend two hours with my new patients. So yeah. I really, oh, by the wonderful. time I order their labs, I know them. I know every complaint they have and I know how to use those complaints to get and my you lab. get it covered. And so mm -hmm. that's what I yeah. want to tell you folks, you know, um, yeah, you want to get these things tested, but your insurance company is not going to pay for us to check it just because we want to check it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have a problem for them to pay for it. And so, um, you know, physicians are getting even, even, you know, traditional physicians are getting wiser about how to do these things and get things paid for. So can I um, say something about that though? You sure can. There's two points. I think most medical doctors don't test for things they don't know anything about. In other words, mm. if they don't know what to do with it, they're not going to test it. And so many doctors still don't know about, about vitamin D. And so I can't even tell you how many primary care doctors, even neurologists, like I had a patient the other day, which, you know, with a kid with migraines, they should be checking that. Um, they, if they don't know what to do with it, why would they test it? They don't know how to interpret it. So that's part of the problem. Now, here's the beauty, though. There is this, and I get no money from telling you this. There is a website called lifeextension.com. You can order all your own labs for free. Don't need a doctor. Hmm. And I check my vitamin D for 50 bucks twice a year, just because I don't want to bother my mm -hmm. doctor and I want to get my results myself. And I don't want, I want to hmm. it myself. So she, she buys into the vitamin D thing. Uh, she's pretty holistic, but I just. Right, right. Myself. 
I mean, but- 50 bucks twice a year. I, I usually do it midsummer and midwinter um, just because I do garden and I do walk and, you know, I just, I need a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 And I will say this for people of color, you know, everybody says, oh, go out in the sunlight, but we have natural SPF to block Mm -hmm. the sunlight that you need to make the vitamin D. So if you, if you got any tan to your skin, if you're olive, just understand that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to get uh, the vitamin D via sunlight. So, and I'm um, the whitest yeah. white girl there is. I go say, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I literally <laughs> sit outside at lunch every day for 10 or 15 minutes. Cause I want to touch the earth and get the sun on that person. Uh-huh. Right. And I garden and I walk and I still have to take 5,000 international units of vitamin D every day to keep mine at 80, which is where I want it for yeah, best sleep. Man. But also we can have another talk about this for COVID protection for your immune system, yeah. for the yeah. flu, in yeah. other countries where yeah. they cared, I could go into that, like the Netherlands, they, they they tested people's vitamin D for free and they gave out vitamin D for free and their COVID numbers oh my gosh. nothing compared to ours. Nothing compared to ours. And those are some white people over there. Okay. Oh my God. They don't get as much sun as we do. So the long and the short of it is, you know, we're back in flu season. You got to get your vitamin D up. If you haven't had a check, get it checked. Now you know it needs to be 60 just because the lab says that 30 is fine. 30 is right. 30 mm-hmm. is average. I don't want to be average. When I took calculus, I didn't want to have a C. That's average. We want right. to be optimal. Right. Okay. For sleep, for our immune system, for our mood. Come, come on and say that because part of, you know, I forget what it is, the Portability Act, I think it is, where patients mm-hmm. are now getting their lab results. Like right. that is your right to have your lab results. And you and should. So, you and should you should. Have. Absolutely. But sometimes, especially pregnant women, um, the normal value does not apply to you in your particular situation. So if you're, if you're trying to address sleep and it's like, oh, my vitamin D is 31, I'm normal. No, it should be above 60. It should be above 80. And Mm -hmm. so you have the labs, but you still want to partner with someone who really knows where those values should be. Um, because it's not always what you see on the piece of paper or now we're on the computer, what you see on the screen. So, ah, man. Okay. I just, I'm (laughs) just going to say, I, I, before we got on, I said, Lori, you probably want to consider having a podcast, like, cause you're dropping (laughs) dimes, like for real. Uh, and I just think that this is the information that people need to know so that they can help themselves. If they knew I've got to just take 5,000 international units of vitamin D, vitamin D a day, then, you know, that's something that we could implement easily. And but that's what it, I have to take guys. That's that maybe that, you, that, that's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. Go ahead. You can say, yeah, she, you, you might need 1,000 or 2,000. And I have some patients right. that need 10,000. Yes. And the darker yes, skin yes. people are, their vitamin D's are in the toilet. Some of them are eight, seven, nine. They're horrible. I was what, 14? I think yes. I got down to nine. Yeah. They're so yeah, much yeah. lower than even Caucasians. Yeah. Mine runs I like know. like high 20s, low 30s. So, you know, when I don't yeah. take anything and, that, and yeah. that's too low. So, you know, let me just say, and it's always at the end of the podcast, this is general information. So you really want to work with a healthcare provider who really knows this stuff and knows you most importantly. Uh, mm-hmm. But you want to have the knowledge that you need to have your vitamin D check, right? And so that that's what we're here for. 
the dosages and how often you should take it, that's between you and your medical provider. So um, man, you've dropped a lot of information. Um, Just give us, you know, as we close out, one thing, one word of encouragement or one recommendation that you have to, to live a, a healthier and happier life. Ooh, just I know, I know that's hard. I know. Yeah, or, okay, stupid. okay. Give us a mantra or, you know, something that you kind of tell all of your patients. The way that I try to live my life is as close to the earth as I can. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds hippie in seventies and that's my generation, <laughs> Um, but everything that I do, I don't want to eat and drink plastic. I don't want to breathe Lysol and chemicals. I don't want to put beauty products on my skin, my largest organ that get absorbed into my body and fill me with chemicals. I don't want to take pharmaceuticals unless I absolutely have to. I want to try everything else first, especially sleeping medicines, because your, your brain is a self-cleaning oven and it doesn't clean itself when you're forced into a sleep cycle. And so that can increase your risk of dementia. That's another story. So everything that I do, I want to breathe clean air every day. I want to touch the earth every day. I want to drink real clean water. I have reverse osmosis water. I don't drink from plastic. You know, everything that I do, I think, is that going to hurt me or is it going to heal me? And it's food, it's air, it's water, it's hand lotion. It's the soap in my bathroom all of it. I make all my own wow. cleaning products. So wow. it's literally about how can I, I don't, I don't want to live forever. I'm, I can't wait to go to heaven. Okay. But while I'm here, yeah. I want to be, I want to feel like I'm a teenager, like I do now. So I can do all the things and help the people and, and do oh, what God's will is for me. And I when love it. Time, I'll go, but I don't want to be sick. And most people, right. my age are sick. most people your age, but we can go on down to, to children as well. Right. Um, so most Americans have a lot of these issues because of what we eat and how right. we live. And so that is wonderful. Eat as close to nature as your eat and live as close to nature as possible. And guys, I know that, you know, you probably are not going to be at the level of Lori right now, but it's a process and you can get there. And I wasn't so always know- this way. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was going to say. Yeah, that's when my hot flashes have gotten better. I've cleaned all these things up. And, and now yeah. every now and then I'll go, huh, it might be a little warm in here. That's about it. I'm not yeah. even sure if it's a hot flash. Like that's yeah. how different it is now compared to what that's, it was. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So when you know better, you do better. And y'all, you got a lot of knowledge here. So you know a lot more now. So I'm expecting big things out of you. I'm expecting better. So Lori, real quick, how can our listeners contact you, follow you on social media? So I'm only really on Instagram, sleep and diet Mm -hmm. restoration. But the best way to, if you want to make an appointment or get more information, I'm actually on psychology today under psychiatry. They give you a lot of room to show pictures and tell who you are. That's probably the best way to kind of see who I am. My website has less information because there's only so many characters allowed on my website, but mm-hmm. it's sleepanddiet.com, just like it sounds, sleepanddiet.com. Yeah. All right. And we'll have all of that information in the, sh- the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on. And let me just give a shout out to my patient, Sarah. Um, she was the one that said, you might want to have this lady on your show. So mm-hmm. Thank you so much because yes, we are kindred spirits. We are definitely kindred spirits. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Share this episode. This was really good. Uh, And we will see you back on another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. See you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. 
For more insights and health empowerment, subscribe to our podcast. Here's to your health, body, mind, and spirit.